So if you weren't here last week and you get a chance to listen to the uh, year recap, the year in review, I went back from uh, fall of 2020 up to the fall of this year and just kind of what the Lord's been saying through the weekly teachings. And it was kind of a good, kind of a broad overview of what was happening. But just to bring you up to speed over the last month, at the beginning of October, we started talking about uh, this season of prophecy that we were coming into and, and learning that. And one of the things that we highlighted there was that uh, a prophet, according to the Old Testament, is one who speaks for another. Uh, Moses was told that Aaron will be your prophet, meaning he'll speak for you, meaning you're gonna, he's going to hear a word and relay it, just like Luke said. And so the context is one who's not speaking on his or her own authority, but on the authority of one greater than, than him. We talked about a couple of definitions that week, that it's telling forth the mind and counsel of God into certain situations and circumstances. Not necessarily foretelling the future, sometimes it's that, but on a more regular basis, it's forthtelling. It's taking what God is saying in a certain situation and saying, this is what he's speaking to you. We highlighted uh, Melinda Shaw here uh, this last week. She gave such a sweet testimony of what Brian had said to her. And not only was it about her two sons, and, and she said, if you weren't here last week, she said, no one knew this, but it was the 30th anniversary of her mother's murder, sadly. And Brian gave her a word about the years that the locusts have eaten away. And she testified last week that the Lord remembered her. And I just started bawling when she said it was so sweet because he does remember her. And, and our brother took a risk and he stepped out, but he spoke a healing word into her heart. And it really deeply restored something that needed to be restored in her heart. And we have access to this all the time. It's such a precious gift as Luke said, while well, we talked at the end of that uh, week on October 10th about how the beginning of prophecy is learning how to listen. We have two and one for a reason. We need to learn to listen first. We picked up Matt Penner, spoke uh, the week after that, and then I came back on the 24th here, and we spoke about listening. We went to Isaiah 50, where it says, the Lord has given me the tongue of the wise that I might know how to sustain the weary with a word. How does he do that? He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as one being instructed. So before I can speak to someone a word that sustains them in a weary season, I have to be able to hear the shepherd's voice. And we talked about how the sheep listen to his voice in John 10. They know his voice. And we talked about what does the stranger's voice sound like? If you weren't here, we talked about condemning accusation and, and putting weight on us. And he's speaking in questions. Did God really say? But how the voice of the shepherd is love and encouragement. You're my beloved son whom I'm who I love. With you, I'm well pleased. And I cried my way through Zephaniah 3 last week about how the Lord delights over us with singing. How can that happen? How can he love us like he loves his son? I don't understand it, but that's the voice of the Father. And so when I am set free, I can set people free. When condemnation has been lifted off of me, I can go in and lift condemnation. When I know his voice, I can proclaim his voice to others. So that brings us to this week. This week is prophecy part four. And I got a lot to cram in here, so be patient with me. Please listen to me. I, I really feel like this is important. I want to take you on a little bit of a tour today of some real practical helps, um, some, some standardized language that we can use together to understand what the Lord is saying in this season, and then finish with some practical uh, modeling. First and foremost, 
I was thinking this when we were praying here today. If, if we could take a step back away, just a, just a bird's eye view of, of the focus of the prophetic in this season, I wanna encourage your hearts with why this might be happening right now. And my perception is, is that we're in the last hour. Yes? Amen. Paul said we were close 2,000 years ago. It means we're really close today. But it does say in the last hour, my sons and daughters will be doing what? Prophesying. It's going to be increasingly effective. It's going to be increasingly normal. It's going to be increasingly purified in the last hour. And so if the Lord is emphasizing this in the season, it might be because we're getting very, very close. So just as a, as a lifted up view of that here, Jack Deere is a, an author. He was a former Dallas Theological Seminary professor, and he wrote Surprised by the Voice of God. How many people know who Jack Deere is or have read any of his books? Um, he was a cessationist, believed that the gifts ceased with the apostles, and he used the Bible to back it up, and he got surprised by the voice of God. Well, he wrote another book called The Beginner's Guide to Prophecy. Highly recommend it. Um, I think we've got it there. If you haven't read it, please read it. A lot of what I'm going to be saying today, I'm borrowing from this book. Secondly, um, Steve Thompson wrote a book called You All May Prophesy. Uh, I highly recommend this book. I, I handed this out like candy for a lot of years to people just introducing them. It's really Prophecy 101, and it's teaching people the ways the Lord speaks. And really, both of these books have really great discernment about how to avoid error and how to walk in community, in the prophetic, that we would be supernaturally natural. This doesn't have to be something that's all hyped up. It doesn't have to be something where we cause chaos. We can actually bring strength, encouragement, and upbuilding to the body of Christ through this precious gift. So if you haven't read these books, I highly recommend you read uh, these books if you want to pursue eagerly uh, this uh, wonderful gift. So let's start off here. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would separate, even now, soul and spirit. We need ears to hear and eyes to see. I'm just such a weak vessel, so anything that comes forth today, let it come forth in purity, a pure flow from the Spirit. Let your word come forth in power. Grow us up together into Christ Jesus. Even now, Holy Spirit, just help us to understand what you're saying. For the most advanced and progressed in this room in the prophetic, and for those who are just dipping their toe in the water, Grow us up into Christ Jesus today, Lord. So this gift that we're talking about here is probably, in my opinion, one of the most difficult to learn and to teach. This gift here comes with some of the, the least solid uh, interpretations and how we impart that gift. It seems kind of flimsy sometimes. I had an impression. I had a dream. Something came to mind. It, it's not as foundational for us to jump off on as some of the other gifts are. And that makes it difficult. Sometimes this gift can lead to problems and it can lead to hurt feelings and to chaos in the church. We've all witnessed that. On the flip side of this, I think that this is maybe but or because this gift is 
the most precious gift. It's, it's actually called by Paul the, the higher gift or especially prophecy. I want you to earnestly desire it, he says. Or I want you to burn with zealous passion for it is what that Greek word unpacks as. I want you to lean into this gift. I want to urge the whole church to do it. So the most difficult and maybe the most precious gift that we can pursue together here. So I want to start off by saying none of this is easy and it takes practice and it takes intentionality and it takes a lot of patience, yes, with each other, a lot of grace, a lot of mercy. So Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy. I think it's really important to understand the context. Old Testament prophets primarily were speaking to corporate to groups of people. They were speaking to nations. It wasn't primarily focused on personal prophetic ministry. Even when they spoke directly to kings personally, what was it for? The whole nation. It was for a whole group of people. Thus saith the Lord to this entire group. New Testament prophecy on the flip side is primarily focused on personal prophetic ministry. It's personal to your life and what the Lord is saying in that moment. Now, sometimes it can be like in Acts 11 where Agabus stood up and he says, there's going to be a famine across the whole land. Sometimes it's a corporate word that does happen, but not primarily in the New Testament. What's primarily happening in the gift, in the prophetic, in the church today is that those who are prophesying are helping in two areas. They're helping the saints walk according to the Spirit. Romans 8, 14. If you keep in step with the Spirit, that means you are who? Sons of God. Learning to walk in step with the Spirit and His leading, His promptings means we're walking as children. So prophecy primarily is helping us to stay in step with the Spirit. Number two, it's helping us to learn to hear the shepherd's voice. How many of us in here have the ability to hear the shepherd's voice? <clears throat> Every single one. How many find it difficult sometimes to navigate what is the shepherd's voice? A lot of us do. Well, prophecy helps us to do that. When Lizzie and I were early on married, we didn't know what we were doing in this area. And we sat in a group with some older, older seasoned prophetic folks. And we'd have a moment where the ministry of the Spirit would be moving. It was powerful. And we'd wait on the Holy Spirit. Well, we'd see a vision or we'd hear a word, but we weren't bold enough to say it. But then someone more seasoned than us would say, this is what I saw. And it would exactly line up with what we saw. And so we learned because of that, that was the Lord's voice. That was the Spirit leading me. This is like a whole new world. This is fun. And it just exploded our hearts in love for the prophetic and what the Lord was doing in these house group, house group movements. So that's what we're primarily focused on. Does that make sense? Old Testament prophecy versus New Testament prophecy. How does it function in the church? Okay, the means, here's, here's some common means of revelation. And when I say common, I mean it's abnormal that we have an angelic visitation today, right? In the last week, Gabriel has not shown up in my bedroom to talk to me. I don't know about you. So I, I haven't had that in my entire life. But here's some common ones that I see on a regular basis happening in the church. Primary means of revelation is the... Word of God. This is the number one way we know what the Lord's saying. He highlights, he lifts up a scripture in season. Everybody know what I'm talking about? You're reading the Bible, all of a sudden it's like, bam, that's a word right now in season for me. That's a rhema word that comes up. 
Number one primary means is the written final word of God. Number two is an audible voice to your ears. Remember Samuel in the temple? Eli didn't hear it. It wasn't to Eli's ears. It was to Samuel's ears. Samuel. He didn't recognize it for a while. Finally, Samuel helped him to understand that's the Lord's voice talking to you. He heard it with his ears. I've never had that, that I know of. I don't know that I've ever heard an audible voice. Thirdly, is the internal audible voice, where you you hear a voice like in your head. I have had that. It's been rare, but I have had that before. And you might know what I'm talking about, where as clear as a bell, the Lord spoke into my inner man. I just heard it. That's a means of revelation. Fourthly, sentence fragments or words or, or like, like little, little pictures of maybe a, a sentence in a book that comes out to you. That's happened before. We've got biblical examples of that where it's written on a many, many tekel. I can't remember what the last word was. The Lord has put you in the balance of the found wanting. There's, there's these words that appear before our eyes sometimes and he'll speak to us through sentence fragments Sometimes and through sentences that are whole, makes sense. Next is a knowing. We talked about this last week. My, my brother Dick just, there's, there's certain, he just knows certain things. Or you have a word of knowledge to where you just know something about someone that you should not know. You do not have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the one you're with now is not your husband. There's no reason Jesus should have known that. But he got a knowing inside that was a means of revelation. And that's happened to us at different times, different places. Next is impressions, which is less certain than knowing. Less certain than inner knowings or words of knowledge. It's like, I just had an impression. You remember in Acts 14, where Paul saw the beggar outside of the city of Tyre. He saw that he had faith to be healed. He just, he just saw that. He just knew that. There was an impression that Paul had that this man had faith to be touched by the power of the Lord Jesus. Acts 15 says, It seemed right to us and to the Holy Spirit that we should send this the, the way they sent the letter. There was just kind of an impression that they had. There was an intuition or perception or a feeling that they had. Less confident than a knowing. Next is a dream or a vision or a trance, which is a vision where you... Lose your physical senses. Paul had that. The whole first part of the New Testament is filled with dreams. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. Paul had a dream with a man waving from Macedonia, you remember. And he concluded that meant they were to go to preach there. There's visions that we have. The, the Lord will open up our minds. Job 33 says, this is how I speak to a man in a dream and a vision on his bed. And lastly, there's physical manifestations in our bodies. Jesus felt power go out of him when the woman touched the hem of his robe. Sometimes people will be praying for the sick and somebody will have a pain in their left shoulder and say, does somebody have a problem with their left shoulder or in a knee or something like that? The Lord will highlight parts of your bodies. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. And like I said, there's more. I just find these as common means of revelation. Again, this uh, Jack Deere lists several of these out from his book there. So, Every single time we prophesy, there's three things included in that ministry. Number one, there's the revelation, what was said or what we said. Number two, there's the interpretation. What does that revelation mean? And number three, there's the application. What are we supposed to do with the revelation 
and the interpretation. What are we supposed to do about that? Well, every single time we prophesy, all three of those are involved. And to be completely effective in the prophetic, all three of those have to line up. You can have a correct revelation and an incorrect interpretation, which leads you to a wrong application. Or you can have a correct revelation, an incorrect interpretation, and a correct application. Let me give you an example. When I was in house church early on and learning to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit, we're sitting in a room at Jeff Miller's house, and I looked across the room, and a young lady was sitting over there who I didn't know, and I heard super clear flowers for Valentine's Day. That was the revelation I got. Something in her life was about flowers for Valentine's Day. So I said, I'm sorry, I don't know your name. Could you tell me? She told me. I said, in front of the whole group, there's 20 people in there. I said, I just heard super clearly flowers for Valentine's Day. So what I believe the interpretation is, is you didn't get flowers for Valentine's Day. But what the Lord is saying is that he loves you anyway, even though you didn't get those flowers. And man, I heard it clear. I was super excited. I'm like, here we go, baby. I'm prophesying now. She starts dying laughing. I'm like, yeah, I got one. I got it right. And she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but actually, for the first time like ever, I just got flowers for Valentine's Day from a guy who I was hoping to get them from. And what the Lord spoke to me in that was how much he loved me and how, he, how much he remembered me. And I'll never forget this because Jeff Miller goes, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> <clears throat> and I felt that big. And they all just blessed me so much. Like they were like, brother, you got the revelation right. You got the application right. You totally screwed up the interpretation of what that meant. <laughs> totally screwed up. So what I could have done and what I've learned to do since is when I get a word for, for someone like that, I might pray, Holy Spirit, what are you saying in this? The flowers for Valentine's Day, what are you saying? Well, if he's quiet and doesn't say anything to me, then what I would do next is I'd say, ma'am, I'm sorry, could you tell me your name? I'm just hearing the phrase flowers for Valentine's Day and I'm just wondering, does that mean anything for you? And she would have said, oh my gosh, yes, I just got flowers and the Lord just exploded my heart with love. That's how you do that. Well, there was grace in that because what I did was I made a mistake. I misinterpreted a word that came. And so the failure resulted in mercy. The failure resulted in redemption and in my growth. So I could stand here and tell you that story today. What didn't happen was I didn't get shut down from doing the prophetic. I didn't get told you've got to stop doing that because of what maybe might have happened into her heart. By the way, she was great. She loved it. She, she was gracious towards me the whole time. So there's a difference between practicing and finding errors in our practice versus false prophecy. And false prophecy is where, like in Acts 16, there was that woman who had the spirit of divination. Do you remember that? She was actually prophesying, but it was according to like Python spirit. She was using fortune telling. She was saying, these men are servants of the most high God. And Paul got irritated and he commanded the, de the demon to come out of her. Out of her. There is anti-scriptural doctrine, teaching of demons. And what that does, what false prophecy does, is it leads us away from Jesus and away from his word. 
What mistaken prophecy does in the context of fellowship and community is it leads us deeper into his heart, into more humility. I got lower after that happened with that girl. I got very humble and I went to seek the Lord. I'm like, oh man, I, I wanna be sure that I know I'm hearing his voice after this, but I didn't stop. I kept on pressing in. Look with me in Acts 21, if you would. I think this is a beautiful story that helps unpack the church's response to some error. Paul had been told by the Lord that he had to go. He had to get to Jerusalem. He would go to Jerusalem. There was, there was a word that the Holy Spirit kept on telling him, that's, what, that's what's going to happen to you. You're going to be there. So he makes it through the shipwreck and all this kind of stuff. But in Acts chapter 21, verse 3, after sighting Cyprus and passing south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship unloaded its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. And through the Holy Spirit, they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, there's multiple passages before this where the Lord has specifically told Paul, you're going to Jerusalem. I think this is a fascinating verse. Through the Holy Spirit, they urged him not to go. Why is that? Well, they got a revelation and they did not have the interpretation or the application. Look with me past that in verse 7. Well, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed in Palatimus where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip. Now, this is a deacon who had the gift of prophecy. He was one who was transported, you remember, from the Ethiopian Anyway, the evangelist, he was one of the seven. He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. I would have loved to have been in the house of a guy who was transported physically to another place who had four daughters who prophesied. Well, they're there in that house. And after we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt, tied his own hands and his feet with him. He said, the Holy Spirit says... In this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt and will hand him over to the Gentiles. So Luke is writing this. And Luke says, when we, meaning Luke, when we heard this, Luke and the, apostles, and the disciples there and these four daughters of, of Philip who prophesied and Philip, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul to do what? Don't go up to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And when he would not be dissuaded, we gave up and said, the Lord's will be done. So here's the revelation. Agabus comes down and says, whoever owns this belt is going to be imprisoned. The interpretation that everybody got, which was correct, was that Paul was going to be imprisoned. He was the owner of the belt and he would die probably for his faith. That was a true interpretation. Now here's where the rub comes. Here's where the rub comes in the body of Christ, where sincere, spirit-filled believers like Luke, like Stephen, like the disciples, like the four daughters who prophesied, and Paul can have disagreements in the prophetic. What is the application? Number one, it was, since the Spirit is saying this, you should not go. That was incorrect. The second application was, I'm not only ready to go and be in prison, I'm ready to die. That was correct. How can they both be filled with the Spirit and one of them be wrong about the prophetic? Well, it's because the prophetic's not a perfect game. 
We're practicing in the prophetic. We're learning in this. I'm up here teaching today. I'm super glad that you all don't stack me alongside the Apostle Paul as a teacher. Because that would be a bad place for me to try to live up to every week. Now, obviously, I want to grow in my teaching gift, but I'm not a perfect teacher like he is. I'm super glad that the Lord gives us stories like this to show us grace in the prophetic here. So, errors are different than false prophecies. Now, who's speaking to us? Stay with me. Just a few more minutes here. Who speaks to us? Well, number one, God speaks He speaks into our hearts. He speaks into our spirits. Number two, we speak. I've got thoughts. I've got my own opinions and my emotions. Number three, others speak to us. I've got what y'all think about me. In my mind, what you guys are saying, running through. Things people have said. Drew said that. His uncle said, if you ask for help, it's it's an assault on your care. Well, people are speaking. We don't even know about it. And number four, well, the devil speaks. He's the accuser of the brethren. He stands at our right hand and accuses. We know what the devil's voice sounds like. How do we test? How do we understand that it's God speaking? Not me, not others, not the devil, not experience, not anything like that. How do I know? I have to discern. Well, there's two really helpful passages that we can look at together. The first one's in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Go there with me if you would. 1 Corinthians 14. And go to verse 29. In the church meeting, two or three prophets should speak and the others should do this. When a prophet speaks, they should weigh carefully what is said. What that means is to discriminate. Did you know discrimination is okay in the scriptures, in this context? It's to discriminate. It's to separate what they said, or it's to make a distinction between the good and the bad, or it's to make a judgment call as to what they say, or it's to examine carefully. Weigh carefully. That's the first verse that we should do when the prophetic comes. Make a distinction between what's good and what's bad. And then if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, It says, in verse 19, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies as unimportant or with contempt. Don't despise them. But test them all. Hold on to what is good, but reject every kind of evil. And what that word means, to test them all, means to examine carefully. Really, to see whether something is genuine or not, to scrutinize that thing. And while that's very good, we cannot get hung up in the first part of the sentence to test the prophecies. We have to be ready to move on to the second part of the sentence, which is to hold on to them, to hold on to those prophetic words. So we're not standing over here scrutinizing like I'm gonna live in the camp of scrutiny for the rest of my life over every prophetic word. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna use discernment and say that's not from God, that's incorrect. That's, I'm, going to, I'm going to hold on though to what is good. I'm gonna hang on to that even if a brother misses that. Paul didn't reject his brothers because they said, don't go to Jerusalem. He's like, that just wasn't from the Lord, but I love you and I'm gonna hold on to what the Lord told me to hold on to. So how do we examine carefully? How do we discriminate? How do we make a separation? Or how, how do we really see what's genuine or not? Well, number one, 
The number one way we test is, what am I going to say, everybody? The Bible. The better you know the Word of God, the better you'll know the voice of God. The, if, if prophecy, if someone considers himself spiritual or a prophet, Paul says back in 1 Corinthians 14, then let him take heed that what I'm speaking is the word of God. Meaning, if you really think you're spiritual, if you really think you're prophetic and have a gift, then you better line up with everything this book says. Because if you don't, you're not very spiritual. And so if there's any contradiction with the book, we discard it immediately. We throw it out. We say, I will not hold on to that because God never contradicts his word. Amen? Number one way we test. Number two, the character of the voice. What is coming through that voice into my heart? Is it producing hope or does that word produce despair? Does that word produce peace and does it give me clarity in my thinking? Or does it bring terror and more confusion? If it's from the Lord, it's producing the good stuff. If it's not, it's not producing the good stuff. Is it producing loving conviction? The Lord can point out sin in our life and set us free. It's always loving conviction. Or is it producing condemning accusation? That's another way we can test to know if it's the Lord's voice. Number three, the lasting fruit of that word. Melinda Shaw. How'd you feel after you got that word from Brian since two weeks ago? Okay, release and relief. It's a bad word. She'd be like, what word was that again? I don't really remember. It didn't really have any effect on my life. That's okay. But she's saying there's lasting fruit from that word in my life. Does it result in the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. The other thing is learning to write it down or take your phone and recording a phone note, or having a voice memo, helps you to articulate and test, was this the voice of the Lord back then? Because you can't interpret what you don't remember. And so I've got a document. Feel free to piggyback on what I do. It's a document on my computer. It's saved in Dropbox. And it's like, I don't know, it's literally 400 pages long. And it's Dreams, visions, and prophecies. So I can go do a word search specifically for words that the Lord has spoken over time. And I can see what bears up true over time. So really want to encourage you to be good scribes and write this down because we don't want to lose the blessing that's meant for others in the prophetic sometimes. Lastly, how can we test and know the voice of the Lord? Go with me, if you would, to your right to Hebrews chapter 5, 14. Actually, let's go to 13 here. He says right before that, you need milk, not solid food. Hebrews 5, 13 says, anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use or who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice or King James says, who by reason of use have their senses exercised, whose senses are trained by practice, who through constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Primarily, how do we learn to test what's from the Lord? Well, it's practice. It's practice. 
It's, it's learning to discern through having your senses trained between what's good and what's evil. The mark of milk is immaturity. The mark of meat is maturity. How do we get to maturity? Constant use where our senses are trained. This is why this meeting right here is not the best place to practice your prophetic gifting. The best place to do that is in a home group with 10, 15, 20 people where you're waiting on the Holy Spirit together and you're learning to train your senses, just like I talked about with Lizzie and I when we were first, when we were first married. There's an awareness that comes of his voice in smaller groups. It's a training class for us. So we test by the Bible. We test by learning the character of the voice, the lasting fruit, and then by constant use and practice on a regular basis. All the things I'm talking to you about today, the Lord is highlighting, I believe, in this season for a reason. Now, I said earlier, the big picture of reason is because I believe his, his return is very close. But I tell you what, this gift here is meant to build up the body of Christ. And by all means necessary, the body of Christ must be built up in this last hour here. The body is weak. She's weary. Yes, she's been beat up. She's been marginalized. She's been, she has been deceived in so many ways. These, the false prophecies and the, and the fleshly stuff has actually made us scared of the real good stuff, in my opinion. The, the stuff that the enemy has used over here to distract has actually led us away from the gift, like Luke said earlier, the gift in the box for us. So I believe the Lord is highlighting that in this season because he wants a humble people who know how to listen to his heart and give clear, accurate words on a regular basis.